What's up, y'all? My name's Tom. I'm one of the pastors here at Indelible Grace Church. Only for a short time. Um, I'm interim. Did I say that? And so Pastor Jesse um, is here. And so I think I mentioned at the meeting last week that my last day will be September 30th. So, um, and Wendy and I were at a concert at Mount Hermon last night, uh, Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Anybody? Group from the 90s. They've been singing for 32 years. Um, in fact, I think the year they started was the year I got married, and so it was a long time ago. Um, those guys are old, but they can still bring it. Uh, it was a great, great time, but... I, I was remembering that we went to that concert last year, and then we came kind of incognito and visited Indelible Grace Church that weekend. So here I am again, just like here kind of full circle, seems like. Um, it's not lost on me how gracious y'all have been to us, and um, this year has been such a wonderful year in so many ways for us. I'm, I'm grateful, and I know that it wasn't an easy year necessarily for all of you here, and the year before, you know, that there's been difficulty. I'm, I'm so aware of that. It's not lost on me. Um, and I just want to thank you as a church for the what, how you've ministered to me. Um, and I've said that often, and I know you're probably uncomfortable with it, but you have ministered to me. I, I just finished my Ph.D. and um, was working, but kind of lost in where the Lord was leading me. And um, I'm still not exactly sure, but you guys have been so gracious, and I've learned so much from you. And so I'm grateful. That's all. I'm, I'm going to keep saying it, how grateful I am for you. So um, we're in a series, if you're visiting here um, at Indelible Grace, sorry, all that, you're like, what? what's happening? Um, I welcome you. Uh, we're in a series looking, because uh, we want to preach through all of Scripture, and we're in First Thessalonians, we haven't been going through since I've been here, but we're in First Thessalonians right now, and last week was a family service where I did sort of an abbreviated sermon, um, at least it was on my account, maybe some of you are like, yeah, it seems like you went on and on for a long time. But uh, we were in First Thessalonians chapter 4, and today we're in First Thessalonians chapter 5. But I want to go back a little bit. So if you go ahead, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to First Thessalonians. It's, it's right there in my Bible, uh, like right after, uh, let's see, what's the one that comes? Yeah, it's Colossians and then First Thessalonians. And if you have your Bibles on your phone, you can turn there to First Thessalonians chapter 4, the very end, starting at verse 13. And here's where I'm going today, because I know some of you like that. You like to know where I'm going, because... Uh, Sometimes I don't tell you, and you're like, wow, where is this plane going to land? I understand. So I want to talk a little bit about what you should be getting out of this series in First Thessalonians. I just want to say a you know, big picture that if you walk away hearing two or three sermons here at Indelible Grace from First Thessalonians, and you don't get this big picture idea that we failed as preachers. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Then I'm going to make one sort of quick observation about the texts. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4, starting at verse 13, 5, 1 through 11, I'm going to make just a quick observation. And then I'm going to unpack very briefly three groups or entities that Paul, the Apostle Paul, who planted this church, um, the Thessalonian church, in his second missionary journey to the Gentile world. Uh, and he's uh, talking to, in this text today, three entities. One um, is those who have died. 
And what happens to those who have died at the coming of Christ? What happens to them? And then those who are, are, are left behind at the coming of Christ. So those who have died at the coming of Christ, what happens to those people? And then those who are left behind at the coming of Christ, what happens to those people? And then the third group, more addressed in chapter 5, is those before Christ's return. That's us. Right? We're still waiting for the return of Jesus and Paul's addressing, now what do you do if you're not at the time of Christ's return and you're waiting? What do you need to be thinking about? So those are the places I'm going. A little bit of a big picture, some observations. Those three groups will unpack from this text. Okay, great. And I'll, what I'm going to do instead of our normal, just read through all of those verses because it's 16 verses. I'm going to read a little bit as we go. So, uh, you have your Bibles, hopefully on your phone, your, your Bible. So first Thessalonians, this series, Jesus is coming back. That is the major theme that Paul is trying to get across to the Thessalonian church in the first century. Because you see, Some of the people in the church thought Jesus was coming back so quickly that they could quit their jobs and just relax because he's coming again. And so some of these couch surfers, Jesus had not returned and people were getting annoyed. Jesus hasn't returned. Why are you need to be? And then others. So you've got that group he's trying to address with Jesus is coming back. Um, The other side of that is those who who didn't necessarily think he was coming back very quickly or maybe at all, so their life was just going on as usual. So you had those who are like this, waiting, and others who were just going about their business. So Paul's trying to say, he is coming back, so be ready. Be ready, but that doesn't mean you quit your job. That doesn't mean you couch surf. It doesn't mean that you go on his life as normal. You are trying to be trained and ready. Christ is going to come back. So if you walk away from 1 Thessalonians not hearing the message that Paul's saying, Jesus is coming back. He will come back. Be ready for that. Prepare. Train. And be ready. So that's the big picture of 1 Thessalonians. And if, if you don't believe me, I mean, chapter 3, he talks about very, very much, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. That's verse 13 of chapter 3. He talks about his coming at the end of chapter 2. So, And then in chapter 4, it's mostly, in chapter 5, it's mostly about the return of Jesus. You know, when I, I read these texts and it's like, maybe I'm the business as usual person that Paul's addressing. Like, you know, is, is it really hitting me that Christ could, is it hitting me that Christ was risen from the dead? You know, we celebrate on Easter once a year, but that is a game-changing piece. If Christ was dead and now he is alive, I don't know anybody else who's done that. When people died, they die. I don't see him again. Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to hundreds and hundreds of people. Is that, is that life-changing to you at all? Does that change your week? Does that change the things that you're really obsessed about right now? I'm obsessed about a lot of things. Are they that Jesus is going to come back for me? That he's coming back for his church? That he's alive forevermore? Paul's trying to remind them. And it's actually a little bit of a terrifying thought, too, that he's coming back. If you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 
He says in verse 15 of chapter 4, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. We'll talk a little bit about that. But in verse 16, it goes on, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an arch, with, with the voice of an archangel, and with the voice of the trumpet of God. On in chapter 5, which we didn't look at last week, Jesus is going to come, verse 2 of chapter 5, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying there is peace and security. So let me be part of Jesus' church to say, there isn't peace and security. You need to get to Jesus today. He's coming back. And it's going to be a terrifying event. The voice of command, uh, like an archangel, a trumpet, like a thief in the night. You're not going to know it. It's going to be sudden, says the text. When people are saying peace, security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, like labor pains. This is a terrifying event. It's interesting to me how... um, when we talk to our children about the scriptures, even like uh, our most famous, the one we tell our kids the most is like Noah's Ark, which is a terrifying story of a flood and Noah having to build this thing that will save them. I mean, it's a terrifying story. The Bible is full of terrifying things because God is the God and King of the universe who created all that there is. And he's... And Jesus is coming again with the voice of an archangel, suddenly like a thief in the night. Okay, that's the overarching theme of this book. Jesus is coming back. Maybe that's all you came to hear. You can go back to sleep. Maybe that's what you came to hear today. Be ready. It'll be a terrifying day. So, just one quick observation about this text. As I was reading in chapter 4 again this week, starting at verse 13, Paul says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep. And he goes on to talk about those groups that I mentioned. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you. He's assuming they already know what they need to know about the times, the seasons, the coming of the Lord. Uh, he goes at the end of chapter, uh, sorry, the, the end of our text today, verse 11 in chapter 5. Therefore, uh, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you're doing with these words. He said that at the end of our text last week, was, which was First Thessalonians 4.18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. An observation just in those verses is that Paul is telling you the answers. The answers are out there. The answers are here. We, we don't want you to be uninformed, Paul says, so I'm going to tell you everything. Christ is coming. It's going to be just like this. It's going to be a terrifying day. He'll be back. This is what's going to happen to those who have died at that time, those who are left. And then now as we wait, here's what you need to be doing. The answers in Scripture are there. When people in the world tell you the Bible, it just makes no sense. Please stop them and say, we'll just take them to 1 Thessalonians and say, well, 
It's pretty clear here. Paul doesn't want, I mean, the Paul who wrote half the Old Testament doesn't want you to be uninformed. He's going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. Christ is going to come back. Here's what's going to happen to those who have died. Here's what's going to happen if you're left. Here's what's going to happen if you're just waiting now. He's telling you everything. You don't have to be uninformed. The Bible has, let me just go back to an X-Files quote. The answers are out there. The answers are right here. Be encouraged, people of God. You have the answers. Read your Bible. Tom, read your Bible. The answers are right here. And I can be encouraged. If you're discouraged today, read your Bible. Paul says, be encouraged and encourage one another with these words that Christ is coming. Be encouraged. Be built up. So... That was just an observation for me as I just feel like, what do I need to know today, God? I just feel like I'm lost. I'm just, what am I, what am I supposed to do? You need to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. I was listening to a podcast with Wendy on the way down um, this week to the Bay Area because I live in Roseville, if y'all don't know that. I live up in um, the Hades of Sacramento uh, where it's hundreds of degrees up there and so we're driving down, listening to a podcast, and one of the takeaways on this podcast was, and it, it was, um, can I say what it is, the podcast was? Wendy, my wife's making a face that I shouldn't, but, which tells me that I should maybe. Um, so anyway, the takeaway from this particular episode was that some of the things that the church in the modern day has kind of lost um, is one, there aren't, I mean, because churches meet all over the place, here we are, we're in a cafeteria of a middle school. A lot of churches in the olden timey days, what was next to a church building in like, if you drive around the countryside of California and see an old church, what's next to a church? Does anybody know? What? Not a Starbucks, no. A cemeteries. Churches have cemeteries next to them. You're like, wow, Tom, this is getting dark. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't want you to be uninformed, just like Paul, that we are all going to die. And this podcast is reminding that one of the, the burdens of the old church, the traditional church, was to remind everyone that someday you're going to end up next door of the church, which is in the cemetery. You're going to end up in, in your body's going to end up in the ground. So the job of a preacher, elders, teachers in the church, leaders, fellow members, believers, our job is to help prepare one another for death. Are you prepared for death? So then the other takeaway from the podcast was being prepared for death, and Paul is trying to prepare us for that in these verses in the whole book of 1 Thessalonians, prepare you for the return, prepare you to meet your maker, to meet Jesus. But the other thing that uh, in the podcast they're saying was lost is, is altar calls. And that might seem like a certain denomination does that in modern evangelicalism, and maybe that's true, but you're, some of you are like, when well, the world's an altar call, what are you, what are you talking about? Well, in, in the last maybe 60 years, because of people like Billy Graham, is he someone that you know, the name? Wikipedia him right now. You've got your Google. Go ahead. He's a famous evangelist who died not too long ago. But in churches uh, across maybe the south, which is where I'm from, there were altar calls where 
At the end of a church service, you would give people the opportunity to respond to the gospel. Because the gospel is a call. It's good news that calls you to believe and to receive and to take as your own Christ, who's preached from every page of Scripture. Not just First Thessalonians, reminding you that he died, was buried, ascended, and he will come again. But the job of the church is to prepare us for death. And one way to do that is to say, hey, come to Jesus. Get to him as quickly as possible. You can do that right now. You can do that today. You can do that from where you're sitting. But there were churches, again, not just certain denominations, but for years, all kinds of churches were calling people to come forward. Stand up and come to the altar, so to speak. Come forward. I think it was interesting, those two things are lacking that we are are we preparing people for death are we calling people to come to Christ and you're like well I, I came to Christ I was 11 I came to Christ that was two years ago trust me the gospel is so unintuitive to our hearts that apart from the spirit and scripture and being in church with other believers that we forget it and we need to keep coming to Christ we don't get saved over and over again I'm not saying that but we need to keep coming to the gospel like, Tom, are you going to preach the rest of this? Yeah, yeah, okay. So, he's coming back. The answers are right here. And preparing us for the end is what we need to be doing for one another. So as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, these three groups that I mentioned, the first, looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14 I already read it. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you? Do I? Yes. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Paul is being very gentle to the Thessalonian church by saying, those who have died. Now, there are people in that first century church who didn't think people would die before Jesus came. They're like, no one's going to die again. I mean, Jesus is coming. But people died. They fell asleep. And so, Paul is trying to reassure them, those who fall asleep, those who have died at the coming of Christ, Christ will raise them first, is what he says. And he had to declare this to them by a word from the Lord, because it wasn't written anywhere else. Paul had to say, Lord, what do I tell these people? They're discouraged. I want to encourage them. You tell them that when I come back, that I'm going to raise those dead ones first. They're going to be somehow reconstituted when Jesus returns. They're going to be materially remade into the body like Jesus had somehow. I don't know. He's going to raise them first. Isn't that amazing? Think about it. And you're like, well, how in the world could that happen? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't know. Maybe that's why we believe in God. And that we're just human people. And we can't conquer death. As much lotions and potions and crossfit as I do, I'm going to die. And somehow, I'm going to have to be reconstituted if I die before the Lord returns. I'm going to get a new body and I'm going to be with Him. So, if you've got loved ones in Christ who have died, Paul says at Christ's coming, those are going to be raised first. And I believe that's such a, even that sense of them being raised first is a beautiful thing. Because some of us would be like, 
well, if my loved ones aren't going, I don't want to go. I don't want to be with Jesus if my loved ones aren't. Paul's saying, and Jesus is saying it, your loved ones, you're going to see them raised first so that you can be with them at the return of Christ. So at the return of Christ, those who have died, according to Scripture here, they're going to be raised first. The dead in Christ will rise, says verse 16. Then the next group are those left behind. Now here's a pickle. Anybody read the Left Behind series? Anybody? Is that an old series? Yeah, a lot of you guys in the back. Okay. The Left Behind series, I happen to, I used to know the brother of the author of the Left Behind series. We were missionaries together many years ago, back when Phillips, Craig, and Dean was a thing, you know, back in the 90s. But let me just throw this out here. Um, Paul says about those who are left behind, um, we declare to you, verse 15, by word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who are fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend, right, the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him. Now, we've been, over the last maybe 40 years in the church, taught in modern evangelicalism that those who are left behind are not those who are redeemed, are not believers. And I want to push back against that and say, actually, there's a good case to be made for those who are left behind. The left behind ones are the redeemed. Let me just give you one picture of why I think that's the case. I believe scripture bears it out. But one of the reasons I think it's the case is because in the ancient world and even in medieval times, we, uh, as David said earlier about kings, we don't understand kingdoms or kings. But when a king would go off to battle with his army and then he was returning in victory, the people of the city, what would they do if you know anything about history? What would the people do to go greet their king who was coming in victory back to the city? The people would go out to greet their king. And they would go outside the city and they would have major celebrations. You know, they don't want to wreck the city. They go outside the city, have a major party, excitement, be around the king. And then what would happen? They would come after celebrating the victory with the king all together, then they would go back into the city. You see, the scriptures bear out that we're not going to go as believers, if you're a believer when Christ returns, we're not going to some ethereal place where we'll be floating around in some heaven. The Lord is creating a new heavens and a new earth. And so when Jesus returns, those who are left are us. We'll be caught up with him, celebrating, and then with him, left to a new heavens and a new earth. Hey, if that rocks your theological world, that's what I'm here for. Enjoy that. But the left behind are those who are redeemed. Now, I would mentioned we talk about soul sleep because really this text doesn't completely address What happens to somebody when they die and Jesus hasn't returned? Now, that's a huge question, right? The church has wrestled with that question for centuries. And we know, according to this text, what happens at the return of Christ. Those who have died will be risen first, and those who are left will meet him in the air and then come back to the new heavens and the new earth. But what's that little middle portion where you die and Christ hasn't returned? Does some of you want to know what's what's up with what happens after you die? Do you want to know? 
I don't know. <laughs> there are theologians for centuries who said that our souls kind of go to sleep. That it, it sort of lights out, you know, and then when Jesus returns, it'll be like sleeping beauty. We'll be awakened by love's first kiss by our Savior, and our eyes are, are open, and we'll see him, and right, that kind of soul sleep. And others have differing views. There's a lot of differing views. So I was kind of getting in a conundrum about this. Interestingly enough, uh, at least it's interesting to me, when I became ordained in the PCA, which is the denomination of indelible grace, the Presbyterian Church in America, uh, over 20 years ago, I had gone through seven years of preparation to become a pastor in the PCA. It was a very long and arduous, and it doesn't take everyone seven years you're like, yeah, I can see that, Tom. It would take you a while, right? It took me a while. But as a ordained pastor, my first pastorate up in Roseville, actually, back in 2003, I was there for three weeks at this church. And I was stopped in the hallway by someone I didn't know. And they said, can I talk to you? And I was a new pastor. I'm like, yes, I would love to talk to you. It was a church of about 13 or 1,300 people. And so, like, what do you want to talk about? He's like, well, I really want to know what this church believes about soul sleep. And, you know, I had just gotten my ordination credentials, and I had studied all the things about soul sleep, so I knew exactly the questions that he had. I was like, am I being punked right now? Because this is a really minutiae, you know, it's the minutiae. So much minutiae. So... As I was even getting into the weeds about it this past week. So yeah, we talked about soul sleep uh, for a while. I think we even had coffee about it and talked about soul sleep. If you'd like to talk to me about soul sleep, I'd be happy to meet with you. But we adhere to the Westminster Confession of Faith. We love the Heidelberg, but we as a denomination, we believe the Westminster Confession of Faith is not scripture. But it's useful. It's helpful. So in the Westminster Confession of Faith, it says, regarding soul sleep and what happens in that intermediate state after we die, the bodies of men and women after death return to dust and see corruption. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep, have an immortal subsistence, immediately returning to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And it goes on and on and on with scripture proofs. Now, if you want to read about soul sleep, you can go to the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 32, and it's a great study. But here's the thing. Does it really matter what happens We know when Christ returns, he's going to raise those who believe to be with him. He's going to bring us. We are going to reign with him. You need to come. It doesn't matter about soul sleep. It doesn't matter about that intermediate time. You need to obsess about, do you know Jesus Christ now? Do I know Christ now? Because Paul says in the text here at the end, 1 Thessalonians 5, he says in verse 5, So then, let us not sleep as others do. And he's talking to people who are alive at the time. 
But let us keep awake. Isn't he a genius? He's talking about what happens to the soul that's fallen asleep, death. And now he's talking to living people. He's like, you need to be awake, people. Don't sleep. Be awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. This is verse 7. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, church, let us be sober. And then he talks about how to be sober. We are suited up for battle. Therefore, encourage and be built up in this. So last thought. Last thought. What time is it? 12.01. Last thought. What does it look like to be sober today? And I, I, disclaimer, I realize that when we talk about sobriety, sober-mindedness, sober, that we immediately think of alcohol, alcoholism. Alcohol is, has destroyed families. There's abuse. I, I'm not making light of any of that. I know, I know that it's in this room. I get it. But I want to talk about being sober from this text. And what does it look like for us as believers to be awake and sober as Christians? Well, first of all, a sober person knows that Christ is returning, that death is imminent. If you live 70 years, if you live 100 years, that's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. I was 20 years old yesterday. And now look at me. 27. It's, it happens like that. It's coming. Sobriety is, it's coming. Christ is coming. Death is coming. Get right with Him. Sobriety as believers means that you're aware, you're awake, you see, you hear, you know, you've been given everything you need to be encouraged, to be awake. You're living in the light. You're not asleep. You're not slurring your speech. Your speech is crystal clear when you're thinking about what it means to live in this world, what it means to know God. When you're around non-believers, your speech is clear. Your life is clear. Sober people. Sober people. The last, um, sober people are ready for battle. And I would say the greatest, because Paul says you've got all this armor, and if you look at Ephesians 6, which maybe we'll do next week, because I believe I'm preaching again next week. But sober people are ready for battle. And the greatest battle that you have, church, is not outside these, is not outside the church. The greatest battle is, is right here in your own heart. The greatest, the greatest battle is your own, as David was reminding us with the Heidelberg, is forgiving yourself through the gospel of what Christ has done for you. Your greatest battle is loving people in this body who've hurt you. Your greatest battle as sober people of the gospel who know that you're going to die and Christ is returning. Your greatest battles are your own heart, keeping the church together, walking with Him. I think a lot of times the church thinks the greatest battle is outside of it. You know, we gotta, we gotta fight the battle outside the church. No. The greatest way to get sober and to be suited up, ready to be awake in this world, is to take a big black coffee drink of the gospel of Christ. 
What will sober you up is the black coffee of the gospel. And the gospel is this. Christ died for his people and he loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you think you are, or how great you are, or how low you are, Christ died for you and he loves you. He offers you forgiveness and grace. He rose from the dead. He's coming again. And with him, his people. Thanks, church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you continue to bring sobriety to your church, that we would know the gospel, that we would proclaim it to ourselves, that we would see you high and lifted up, that one day you will do all things good and renew this earth and bring a new heaven and earth. Lord, thank you for these truths. Lord, build us up in these truths, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.